Welcome to the Mac Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Impop, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Several times per week, I'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current issues facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Medical Talent Podcast and at Medical Talent, both linked in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Medical Talent Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host. This week's Who Is continues in the path that we've been following on significant figures from the history of media behemoth Condé Nast. Today's subject is quite possibly the most relevant person in the company's history over the past 50 years. Recovering Cy Newhouse. Samuel Irving Newhouse Jr., known by everyone as Cy Newhouse, was born on November 8, 1927 in Staten Island, New York, to parents Sam and Mitzi. His dad, a lawyer that built the foundation of the century's most powerful media empire, was the son of an impoverished Russian Jewish immigrant, and his mom who attended Parsons and was an art lover, was from a wealthier upbringing on Manhattan's Upper West Side. He and his younger brother, Donald, both attended the Horace Mann School, an elite private school in the Bronx that also served as the place where Cy met his lifelong friend, Roy Cohn, a notorious lawyer that served as the chief counsel to Senator Joseph McCarthy, and later on, a young real estate mogul by the name of Donald J. Trump. Before I continue with Sai's life, let me give you a bit of backstory on the beginnings of the Newhouse family's involvement with Condé Nast. His dad, Sam, bought a majority stake in the Staten Island Advance in 1952, a newspaper which was failing at the time, in partnership with Judge Hyman Lazarus, for whom he'd worked for years at Lazarus's law firm. Upon Lazarus's death in 1924, Sam purchased the rest of the shares to become the sole owner. Sam and his brothers would go on to build one of the largest chains for newspapers in the country, primarily by purchasing affordably priced newspapers in growing communities. Later on, Sam formed Advanced Publications as the holding company for the many newspapers that had been accumulated by that point. In 1959, as a 35th anniversary gift to his beloved wife Mitzi, a strong lover of fashion and of Vogue magazine, Sam Newhouse bought Condé Nast. Condé Nast at the time counted Vogue, Glamour, House and Garden, and Young Bride as members of its portfolio. It would go on in later years, of course, to include titles such as Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, and Condé Nast Traveler, among others. On another note, can you imagine how amazing that it must be to have a husband that just up and buys your favorite magazine company to make you happy? If my husband Ben is listening, can you go and buy me The New Yorker? I love you, thanks. Now that you've got a bit of Condé Nast history under your belt, let's get back to Cy Newhouse's life. After finishing at the Horace Mann School, Cy attended Syracuse University before leaving without completing his studies. His marriage to his first wife ended in divorce in 1959 after eight years of being married and having three children, Sam, Wynn, and Pamela. In addition to being unhappy that Cy's marriage had ended, His dad, Sam, wasn't particularly pleased with how his son's early life had been going in general, what with not finishing at Syracuse, having a failed marriage, and being seemingly aimless. Aside from the part where Sai's family was really wealthy, 
I'm sure that many of us can relate to the feeling that everything around us is falling apart and that those close to us don't approve of our choices. It would likely be especially uncomfortable if one were shy and socially introverted as Sai was. After Sai left Syracuse University, he worked in various positions in the family business. Eventually, his dad placed him in control of Condé Nast, a move that he made because he, I mean, Sai's dad Sam here, he was not as interested in magazines and wanted his son Donald to take over his more favorite newspaper division of advanced publications. Sai formally became Condé Nast chairman in 1975, two years after he got married to second wife Victoria, an architectural historian. He would go on to inherit Condé Nast from his dad upon Sam's death in 1979 from stroke. But he'd actually started working at Condé Nast in 1961. In those early days, he depended on the knowledge, expertise, and mentorship of Condé Nast editorial director Alexander Lieberman and continued to do so throughout the ensuing years because in his own words, quote-unquote, I am not an editor. A couple of major areas among many in which Lieberman advised Sai were hiring decisions and art. Lieberman had an eye for editorial talent and wanted them on his team at whatever cost. Sai, trusting Lieberman's judgment, brought in as some of his first hires Harper's Bazaar fashion editor Diana Vreeland for Vogue in 1962 and star photographer Richard Avedon shortly afterward. Lieberman's influence in the field of art was felt as well, both professionally and in terms of Sai's personal taste. Sai's mother Mitzi, if you recall from earlier, attended Parsons and had a love of art, so I'm sure that some of her influence was felt in Sai's taste as well and his wife Victoria being an architectural historian had to be helpful. Nonetheless, Lieberman frequently gave Sai counsel on how to build up his private art collection, a collection that ended up having a post-war bent to it. Sai became a voracious art consumer through the years. At his art collection's height, it was worth about $100 million. In 1998, he purchased artist Jasper Johnson's painting False Start for $17 million at Saltzmees, which at the time was a record for the purchase of a living artist's work. Among the other artists' work that Newhouse's collection contained were Jeff Koons, Paul Cezanne, Vincent Van Gogh, and Edgar Degas. There were also many others. It was truly a world-class collection. In addition, he was also a board member at the Museum of Modern Art, also known as MoMA. In addition to art, Newhouse also enjoyed theater, opera, and movies. I want to take a quick moment to tell you about Manic Metallic's recent product. Do you like fashion? Does it matter to you beyond just entertainment value? Well, Manic Metallic is a fashion media company that creates audio, written, and video content that supports our ethos that fashion is an art, discipline, and societal force for change. We recently published a fashion ebook titled Alternative Fashion Capitals, a survey of 20 cities of emerging thought leadership. In it, we detail 20 cities beyond just New York, Milan, London, and Paris that have thriving fashion scenes, and we dive deep into what they have to offer, including shopping districts, specific places to shop, brands, events, fashion organizations, fashion publications, and universities and colleges. These 20 cities have a lot to offer the world with regards to the fashion industry, and Manic Metallic is determined to share their stories. We'd love for you to consider purchasing this fashion ebook and for you to join our growing community via our website, social media, newsletter, and podcast. For more information on the ebook and where it can be purchased, 
please visit manicmetallic.com forward slash products. We look forward to hearing from you. Now back to the podcast. Cy Newhouse, who typically arrived at his office before dawn, put his mark on Condé Nast in multiple ways. But I'm going to name off a few of the more notable ones. He was responsible for reviving Vanity Fair, which had stopped publication in 1936 and 1981. 30-year-old British journalist Tina Brown, Tatler's editor-in-chief, was hired to run it after the first two editors didn't work out. She would remain in that Vanity Fair post until she joined The New Yorker, which Cy had made the very controversial decision to purchase in 1985 for $200 million in 1992, where she would remain until 1998. At the time that Tina joined The New Yorker in 92, it was losing in the multi-millions per year. She reversed the losses by almost half before leaving. David Remnick took over after her departure, and The New Yorker became profitable again. Cy also brought in Anna Wintour as editor-in-chief for Vogue in 1988 after her brief stints at British Vogue and House and Garden and other earlier noteworthy positions at New York Magazine and Harper's Bazaar. Anna had always had her sights set on the editor-in-chief role at Vogue, and her appointment to the role of creative director in 1983 was widely seen as a stepping stone for her eventual appointment to Vogue's lead role, which turned out to be true in the end. Anna has been in that role for 34 years, in addition to taking on additional roles at Condé Nast. Cy was known for unceremoniously firing his editors when he felt that his titles needed a change. Deanna Vreeland was fired in 1971 as Vogue's editor-in-chief after the advent of the feminist era in the United States swept in a different mindset at women's publications. She landed at the Metropolitan Museum of Art as a consultant to the Costume Institute. And of course, her curated exhibitions were visually arrested. Side note, it was here that she mentored a young Andrea Leontale, building up a lifelong friendship between the two. Grace Mirabella found out that she had been fired as editor-in-chief of Vogue in 1988 from a friend that had heard a famous gossip columnist announce it on television. Of course, the young Anna Wintour stepped in to take her place. Mirabella started her own fashion magazine the very next year with funding from Rupert Murdoch. And then there was the acrimonious split between the highly regarded and respected William Sean and the New Yorker. William Sean had been the editor of the publication since 1952, but after Cy Newhouse bought the New Yorker in 1985, Sean and his colleagues were mistrustful from the start at Newhouse's intentions for the magazine. They were afraid of losing their autonomy. Sean lasted for two years before he was let go in February of 1987 by Cy to be replaced with Robert Gottlieb, editor-in-chief of publisher Alfred A. Nope. If you could stay on Sai's good side, however, Condé editors got everything. Expense accounts, home loans, salaries, and generous clothing allowances, among other perks. The Condé Nast holiday party was held at the Four Seasons Hotel every year. He had architect Frank Gehry design Condé Nast's cafeteria at Four Times Square. The company is currently headquartered, of course, at One World Trade. This is the company that everyone wanted to work for. Condé Nast's reputation preceded it, and the glamour, prestige, and money that came with the roles were all incomparable. These perks, especially the money, only applied, of course, to the upper-level Condé folks. Entry-level salaries, according to a New York Times article from September 1989 that I've linked in the show notes for this podcast, start at only $15,000 a year. One could see how and why, if you fast-forward to 2022, why Condé Nast workers are trying to start a union. 
All workers deserve respect, not just those at the top. Something else notable is the fact that Cy Newhouse ran in the same circles as Donald Trump back in the day. Now, this actually makes perfect sense when you consider that both were power players in the New York business and, to an extent, its social scene. Their connection was Cy Newhouse's horseman school friend, Roy Cohn, who had become the lawyer for advanced publications, along with being Donald Trump's lawyer. Additionally, there is the Graydon Carter article for GQ magazine in May of 1984 on Donald Trump that did so well on newsstands that Cy Newhouse wanted Random House, which he owned at the time, to do a book about Donald Trump. The ghost-written book, The Art of the Deal, came out in 1987. This book catapulted Donald Trump to national prominence in the United States. It would not be incorrect to say that there is a possibility that we would never have had a President Trump were it not for Cy Newhouse's championing of Trump at the time. Years later, in the preceding months before the recession of the late 2000s hit, Cy decided to start a business magazine called Portfolio in 2007. It ended up being perhaps his biggest failure, as he put $100 million into the cost of the magazine, only for it to fall two years later during the depths of the recession. During the recession period, Newhouse sold most of his prestigious art collection and moved from his townhouse into a smaller apartment in order to make sure that he could continue to fund his magazines. Around that same time, he began stepping back from daily business operations, in the late 2000s that is, and retired in 2015. The extraordinarily influential, culturally adept Samuel Irving Newhouse Jr., passed away at his home in Manhattan on October 1st, 2017, at age 89. There have been two notable biographies written on Cy Newhouse. All the Glitter, Power, and Glory of America's Riches Media Empire and The Secret of Man Behind It by Thomas Meyer, written in 1997, and Citizen Newhouse, Portrait of a Media Merchant by Carol Felsenthal in 1998. There have also been plenty of questions about the future of Condé Nast and its successors and leadership as the torches pass to the next generation, or to outsiders, we'll see. But that's to be expected. What can't be disputed, however, is the sheer energy and care that Sai took with Condé Nast in building it up to be one of the most powerful media companies in the world. That's going to be it for now. Thanks for tuning in, and we'd love it if you'd spread the word about the Manic Metallic Podcast to those you know. Catch you next episode. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion inclined friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.